And thank you for joining us today. This is the DC Comics News Podcast, and we have a really amazing guest, Kemi Garcia. Kemi, could you say hello? Hey, you guys. And we're going to get the chance to talk with her about all the amazing projects she's done and will be doing for DC Comics. And I'm lucky enough as your host, Seth Singleton, to be joined by another amazing contributor, uh, Kelly Gaines. Kelly, if you wouldn't mind saying hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. There we go. And just like that, we start off smooth and easy. Cammy, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and have a great conversation with us. And if you don't mind, I'm going to jump right into the fact that when I looked at the first couple of pages for the Raven graphic novel, I could only respond with, I absolutely love your Wonder Woman costume. <laughs> the shorts are inspired. And I also wanted to know, can you tell me what you use for the gold on the belt, bracelets, uh, headband, and the big W? Listen, my mom made that costume. <laughs> yeah, that was Literally. the favorite part about that story. When I read that, I was like, wow. So your mom made it, and then you wore it for I more than one Halloween. At, le- <laughs> at least three. It got to the point where I had to wear, like, you know, leggings under so that it wouldn't be too racy. But um, I literally, Wonder Woman was my intro to comics, um, to DC especially. She was like my gateway drug. And I always wanted to be Wonder Woman. And so I've, I actually have dressed up as her as an adult also when I've hosted um, events at book festivals. That's amazing. I, I love the costume. I love the picture. You look so confident, so happy, <laughs> so proud. And it was clear that there was a lot of love put into the costume. So as soon as I saw it, I just thought, what ingenuity. I did not have that sort of uh, amazing creative side to me in any way or believe that my parents did, apparently, because I didn't challenge them to give me any sort of an outfit like that. But given how cool yours was, I can see why you wore it for more than one Halloween. (laughs) And, And I just absolutely loved it. When I looked at that, I was like this is reason to buy this book alone. Like that's, that's just a great picture. This is just a great story to start any story. Um, and I love the fact that I, I got a chance to start that as my first question because I'm not here alone. I wanted to turn the next question over to Kelly and just let her take uh, take charge from that one. Kelly, what, what sort of questions did you want to start off with today? All right. Well, I want to start with actually branching off of Raven. Um, I did actually get to read a good chunk of it, and she's such a kind of vulnerable, very human-feeling character. So do you think that, um, you know, coming to this project as a a first-time comics writer, did it give you a little bit of an edge that maybe someone who's been, you know, writing superhero comic books for forever might not have had when it comes to making the the character really relatable? Um, I mean... You know, the the comic writers, comic book writers that I read and I've met are so gifted. I'm sure they could pull it off. But clearly, as a YA writer, that was my that's my gig. That's the thing that I do the best. Um, I just kind of came at it as they wanted they wanted the Teen Titans to feel more relatable. And instead of having stories that were about uh, superheroes that were teenagers. They wanted it to kind of be a story about a teenager who who happened to have powers. So I just tried to think about, um, you know, what she would be like if she didn't have a costume. Um, you know, if the if her jewel wasn't on her forehead, if she could look like everyone else, but then inside she clearly isn't. She has all this stuff going on that the rest of us can't see. 
very nice. Awesome. And would you say uh, that any qualities of Raven, or you know what, this is kind of a two-part question, but what would you say your favorite quality of Raven as you created her would be? And do you think that there are any qualities that sort of seem to be your own personality seeping in? Um, well, I'm a huge Raven fan to start with. And I think one of the reasons I like her is because I could relate to her as a reader. Um, so she's always been my favorite Titan. Uh, Gabriel's favorite is Beast Boy and mine's Raven. So it works out perfectly. But um, I think that the tr- that truthfully, she she's such an interesting character because I actually think she is vulnerable even like I maybe made her seem more vulnerable, but I think she's always kind of vulnerable, but she has this tough exterior. And I, I have always kind of had armor growing up. So I feel like that's something I can relate to where you really, you do get your feelings hurt. You do feel, feel things very deeply, but you have to protect yourself. And so I think that part was easy for me to write because I can remember feeling that way as a teen. Right. Awesome. That's that's really cool. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by how this whole process uh, with you writing Raven came about. From what I understood, just from doing a a little bit of reading, it sounded like DC approached you and then it turned into something where you're talking about a series instead of just initially writing with them. Was this like one conversation or or a series or was it just Um, sort of a... It started. It started out. They were approaching um, YA novelists to do um, some projects, and my friend Danielle Page, who did Mira Tidebreaker, she and I are really close, and she said they wanted to talk to me, and um, so I spoke with Michelle Wells, who's my editor, and also, um, you know, the head of the the two new children's lines that are, you know, now just I think just being called DC Young Readers, and. Um, they basically, they, I mean, it was an easy pitch because I love comics. So they basically said, we want to write um, these longer kind of, you know, lengthy, hefty, meaty stories about our characters, but they don't have to be in continuity. So, you know, you, you have a little free reign. We want to focus more on them as real teens. And um, they asked me who I would want to write. And um, I said, you know, who do you need? Because I actually liked, uh, I like a lot of DC characters. And they said, uh, Supergirl. And I said, well, I'm not going to be able to write that one. (laughs) I'm a little too dark for Supergirl. So (laughs) I said, that's not a good fit for me. And then um, they were naming some other ones. And Michelle said, you know, we really need someone to do the Teen Titans. And I was like, I love the Teen Titans. And so honestly, I I assumed they meant like the Teen Titans plural, so I didn't realize <laughs> I was supposed to pick one. So <laughs> I awesome. I sort of pitched it as I pitched it as um you know like origin stories kind of get so we would get to know each character and then obviously we could bring them together. I didn't pitch Cyborg just because um I, I, there are so many amazing like black YA writers that. I think someone should do someone like of color should do that character. But I told them like, I could easily do some kind of fun tie in, you know, like weave him into, into one of my books. Uh, if I had another writer working on it, that want, that wanted to do something like that. But so I, I presented it and they liked the idea of the series. Um, and uh, they said, you know, that they, they really felt like 
sometimes when you have the big group book, you just don't get enough page time to kind of get to know each character. And that's why I like the idea of doing the, of the doing them as origin stories, because I feel like they're, you know, Beast Boy is a, like a perfect example, which is the one I'm I'm finishing now. Uh, it just went up for pre-order today. It was very exciting. So you revealed the cover and all that. But um, so, you know, with Beast Boy, he's such a great character, but I feel like he has so many layers like beneath what we kind of see on the surface. But you can't really get into stuff like that if you're in the midst of saving the world. So I wanted to kind of have these longer stories where we could get to know them kind of as if they were regular teens. I, you know, I think I'm, I've always been really attracted to the idea of like hidden in plain sight. So I love urban fantasy. I love, I love superhero stories because it's that idea that there could be powers and, you know, all these things going on that we aren't necessarily aware of, but they still exist. So writing that is so much fun. That's such a great discovery. I, I love the idea that it starts out with, them offering up something that's not going to be compatible with your writing style and how you approach characters. And then it turns into they need someone on Titans, which happens to be a book that you love and you get to start with your favorite character. Yeah. And Um, I didn't know that. I just said, you know, I wrote it and I basically figured they would choose who, you know, who I would start with, but they, they agreed that, you know, Raven is like definitely right in my wheelhouse. That's amazing. Um, if you wouldn't mind uh, just an interesting follow-up to it, you mentioned in the intro to the book that uh, you had the chance to work with Marv Wolfman, and we were curious how that came about, if you could sort of describe uh, who initiated which parts or, or how I'm, that you know, meeting I'm came pretty about. Sh- I'm pretty sure that it was rigged because I was at the, <laughs> I, I was at the, totally, I was at the office, and I lived in L.A. for 14 years, but I live on the East Coast again, which is where I'm from originally. And I was in town, um, you know, visiting and it was planned. Like my family was off at like, you know, Warner Brothers, like hanging out and stuff. And I was at the office and they said, oh, Marv Wolfman just happens to be in the office. He would love to have lunch with you. And I was so freaked out. Cause I, you know, because it's Marv Wolfman. And, but, but I couldn't be like, no, I don't want to have lunch with Marv. <laughs> so I was super intimidated. And um, just, and also, I mean, I, you know, I, I did an, um, an X-Files book um, that was, you know, became part of canon. But I feel like as a creator, you know, it has to be hard to have other people kind of playing in your sandbox. And you never know how someone's going to react to that. So I felt nervous. I, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was going to do something he was happy with because I am a fan. So we went to lunch and he's the nicest man. First of all, he's so smart and he's such a gracious person. And um, I asked him just a lot about the character and, you know, the Titans in general, the ones that he would, you know, I asked him a lot about Starfire. And even also, I just, you know, I still like to know about Cyborg. And so we were talking about them. And I said, is there anything you know, like you feel like I should absolutely do or, you know, anything that, you know, you really, really want to see happen. And he said, um, this is not like a direct quote, but he said the gist of what he said was, I don't want you to do anything like I tell you. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I just want all these people, you know, this kind of new generation that might not know the characters. Like, I just want them to love Raven as much as I do. I want you like I want them to find her and I want them to like love these characters. 
And we talked about the fact that they were, you know, the Titans and these types of characters are still very, you know, so relevant today. And I feel like teens today can identify with them even more so than probably in the past because they deal with, you know, they're dealing with really big, scary things out in the world. And so they felt like great touchstones to me. And um, he blurbed, you know, he gave me a quote when I wrote it. He told me how much he loved it. I just thought it was so generous of him that, you know, he was comfortable having someone play in his world with, you know, with his special characters. That's such a great story and clearly an example of how much he trusted you with those characters and how important it was to let you know that, you know, as long as you came at it with the approach of, I want them to love these characters as much as I do. Uh, that's that's such an amazing gift to be offered to uh, approach. Absolutely. And I um, think that's why I was a little nervous when, you know, like when Supergirl came out, because it's not that I'm not a fan, but I'm not like I wasn't a diehard fan. You know, like I didn't have a Supergirl costume. So it was, I want I feel like when you're writing, um, when you're writing in kind of a universe that isn't your own, it's so important to be a fan, like to love the characters, love the universe. Otherwise, I just feel like it, it I think it doesn't 100% come through. I feel like if you don't know them and love them, a little of that sinks into the work. Agreed. And thank you for that insight. Kelly, I feel like I sort of squeezed in two questions there myself. So please, uh, I know you have more. What's no your worry. <laughs> So going off of um, what you said about Cyborg and wanting to, if you were to create that, do so with a a writer of color. Um, I read in another interview that you did, you were really a big advocate for creating a kind of diverse character roster for the Raven book. And it it came out fantastically. So what were some of your personal motivations behind that? Well, um, my husband's Cuban. I'm the, my children are half Cuban. Um, And... I grew up in, you know, up in a in the Washington D.C. area. I had a very diverse uh, group of friends from, you know, different races, different nationalities, different religions, and I feel like, I mean, first of all, we all know almost all literature and media is predominantly, you know, we're predominantly showing white faces, and I think that's now, you know, turning. But I don't think that there's you know, it's turning so quickly that I can't help it along. And especially with teens, I think if you're writing, you know, for younger people, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And that's one reason why, you know, I think it's important for someone of color to write Cyborg, the character of color, because the thing that you get that you get out of that is not just that you have the experiences of um, someone who, you know, a brown skinned person writing that. But if you have, you also have children who are, you know, in a DC, we use the term black more than African-American, but African-American, black, however people identify, you have kids looking up and seeing someone who is just like them is also the author or the illustrator and the artist, like those things are equally important because I want them to not just kids, not just to believe, you know, I can be a superhero, but I can write superheroes. I can do the art for the superhero comic books. You know, I want them. And I I worked in the inner city. I started as a teacher. I taught for 17 years. And when I taught in the inner city, you know, my, my students felt very limited 
because they didn't see people like them doing certain jobs or, you know, having kind of a voice in certain arenas. So I think it's important to change that. It's important to also represent, obviously, you know, people who have um, disabilities, all kinds of kids. My hope was that any kid who opened the comic would be able to find somebody like them. So Gabriel was great. He specific, um, Gabriel Piccolo, my artist, he specifically, um, like he gave some characters kind of ambiguous, you know, he did a lot of people that were um, like my kids, biracial. Um, a lot of kids that you couldn't really tell, you know, what their what their race or nationality was. And it was intentional because that way it felt like we were encompassing more than just, you know, someone Asian, someone black, someone Latinx, um, someone white. And uh, Gabriel is Brazilian. So he was also amazing at doing that because he was telling me, you know, he lives in a country where even as, um, you know, as, you know, being Brazilian, it's not, there's not, that doesn't mean you have like one skin color or one hair color. Like people are very diverse looking there. And Cuba's the same way. My daughter's a blonde Cuban. She's like her and her grandmother, who's 100 percent who came over from Cuba, is blonde with blue eyes. So it's interesting. It's like I, you know, I I want everyone to see themselves. I feel like comics, comics are such an accessible medium for so many people. And they're so powerful. You know, they really it's like it's like seeing a movie in your own mind. You, You can put yourself in that story. But it's a lot more powerful if you actually see someone like yourself, too. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I can't tell you how, uh, I, I don't even know the right word for it. I guess important that idea is, I mean, to me personally, I'm, I'm biracial. So it's one of those things that when I pick up a book, it stands out to me. Because I, I remember yeah. as a kid, there's always this, a, you know, I, I could find representations of my dad's black so I could find his side of the family. I could yeah. find my mom's side of the family. But the, the in-betweens are hard. So that is, yeah. I, I think, probably one of the most admirable things I find in books is when it's like, hey, that person could be like me. And that's the cool part. And, yeah, that, wow. and it's interesting because uh, in Beast Boy, we have a new character um, and my daughter's name is Stella and I named her Stella. And she said, is she going to be Cuban? And I said, no, actually, she's going to be biracial. She's going to be um, Afro-Latina. And I was like, you know, is that OK? And my daughter has like this, you know, like a little blue stri- stripe in her hair. And she's like, as long as she has some blue in her hair, it's totally fine. <laughs> so she oh, was like very so concerned fun. about that. That's awesome. I love that. Just That's... the blue hair. That's... <laughs> yeah. She was like, well, she's still Stella. She has the blue hair. And she was like, and if she's cool and likes stuff like that I like, then she's totally still has like my spirit. Oh, that's adorable. How old is your daughter? She's only 12. But, you know, I, you know, she's been around, you know, why a novelist, why writers kind of as a group, we are really out there for kids. Um, you know, I'm, she's, she's, you know, she's been to events and hung out with Jason Reynolds and, you know, the, you know, heads of we, the founders of We Need Diverse Books. And yeah. she, she really, and also I think it's hard too, because, you know, she, she really identifies as being Cuban and people have said to her, like, you're not Cuban. You don't look Cuban. You look white. And clearly, like, you know, she's, she's not marginalized, but she takes offense with that because she says, like, you can be, you know, just because I'm light, like my grand, both of my dad's parents are from Cuba, like came over. 
from Cuba. They are both Cuban. And she'll say, you know, not everyone believes I'm Cuban. And I'm like, well, you know, like you're Cuban. Like we have all the photos like of, you know, your 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 great grandparents standing around literally in Cuba before Castro took over. But again, I think it's that idea of, um, you know, having generalizations or stereotypes about what we think people look like, um, you know, how we think they look if they're, you know, a certain gender, sexuality or, you know, race. And, you know, Gabriel is also a huge proponent um, of just a race, you know, doing the best we can to like blur those those lines as much as possible. Wow. Yeah, that that is fantastic. And I. 100%. I mean, it's it's lucky that your daughter has, uh, you know, kind of has a role model in you who understands that sort of in between, because I think that's really tough for a lot of mixed kids. But that's I, that's fantastic. Thank you. I don't know if you noticed, but I actually was pretty impressed. DC was very committed to diversity as well. My editor, um, you know how obviously Raven has a very, you know, kind of wa- like washed, um, limited color palette. Yeah. Um, you might notice that whenever one of the main characters is introduced, you see them in color. And Michelle and I came up with that because I said, like, I, you know, people of a certain race don't necessarily have certain features. Like we can't just count on like, you know, hair or hairstyle or some stereotype to like, let us know like what people are. And I also believe that truthfully, everyone will start defaulting white anyways. So She said, she said, why don't we, you know, she, but we didn't, you know, she really wanted to keep the palette limited, but she said, why don't we do something so that at some, you know, at some point we see them, you know, with their hair color, their, you know, full color, we know exactly who our character is. And, and I, I think she came up with it actually was the idea of like the first time we introduce the main character, like his friends, like let's show them in color. So everybody knows what they look like. They can picture them in their mind and then, like, you know, there's some, like, Max who were so key that, you know, we, and she's so, her, she's such a cool dresser. We had to, like, color her in more, more times. Yeah, that's, that is, I don't recall ever seeing that in another comic book, which I, I think that makes it stand out so well. That's a really, really good idea. Yeah, she, well, she's pretty brilliant. And, and again, there was this whole thing about, well, we can't do that because we're not coloring all the people. And I was like, you know, like we can't do this. Like if we we're either going to, you know, do a book that's diverse or not do a book that's diverse. And then she like, I remember she was like, I'm going to think about it. And we just kept coming up with ideas until one hit. And then I think she tried like a test of a page or two and she, you know, everyone loved the way it looks. So we were like, done. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Wow. That, that is really cool. It was. It's 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 nice to be at a place where they are supportive of um, things like that. Yeah, definitely. Seth. Yeah, because you brought them both up, um, I think I want to start maybe with the uh, introduction where you, in your dedications, mentioned Nick, who encouraged you, and Stella, who you just brought up, who loved Raven first. Would you mind just providing a, a little bit of depth about? either of those two dedications or as much as you so, feel comfortable because sometimes are, I know those are my kids so Nick and Stella are my kids um and whenever I get kind of I have book ideas and stuff I discuss unless they're not appropriate I usually which they usually are so I discuss them with my kids and um when I kind of floated Teen Titans Nick was like you should totally do it it will be amazing 
But Stella was a Teen Titans fan. She was a diehard Teen Titans Go fan. And she actually cosplayed, you know, as I tell Marv, Marv Marv Wolfman's Raven. She cosplayed her probably four years ago at San Diego Comic-Con. That's and I showed him the, I showed him the picture and it was so because I don't I don't put a lot of pictures of my children online but I showed him the picture and he like he loved it because it was literally and he said that's my Raven because it you know she had the traditional Raven uh, costume and she's just such a diehard Raven fan so and it was fun because I was writing something you know a lot of my books you know when I wrote Beautiful Creatures my first um prose novel with uh, my writing partner my daughter was a newborn and my son was like two and a half so this was one of the first times that I wrote something that was like the age that they would actually read it at the you know at the time I was writing it and that was really fun could you imagine while you were writing it their reactions to certain scenes or scenarios or or how you think that the writing you were doing in a moment or editing would shape the way that you could see them responding to it or or knowing that maybe in some ways she was uh, a person you were writing to your, in your audience instead of just the larger audience as a whole. Or yeah, I mean, I, I kind of try to always think about like the readers that I meet at events as like my tribe of people, you know, my like, and that tribe obviously expands every time I do signings or events and I meet more people, but those are the people that I write for. Like I imagine, you know, these are the people, you know, the people who are going to read Raven, you know, a lot of these people are going to be cosplayers. You know, a lot of these people are going to be, you know, DC fans like I was. And, you know, maybe instead of, you know, being Wonder Woman for three years for Halloween, they've been Raven every Halloween or they cosplay her at every event. I met a guy at um, New York Comic Con. I put him up on my Instagram. He, um, he does a gender bending uh, Raven and he cosplays Raven in her like Raven costume. And it's awesome looking, but not like, but as a guy, like a guy Raven. And it's so cool looking. And so I just try to imagine, you know, how the other people that are fans, the people that these characters are important to are going to feel about, you know, the work, because this is not my original character, you know, like I am, I'm sharing a universe that's already been created and I see it as I want to attract new readers and introduce them to those characters. But I also want the people who already love them to read the book and love it. What I love about what you just said is that it leads perfectly into a, a question that I was thinking about when it comes to Max and the creation of an original character as part of this story. Could you go into uh, any depth that you feel comfortable regarding where Max came from, uh, what the process was? Was it your idea? Was it something you collaborated with, uh, with Gabriel or your editor or, or how that came about? So I had all the characters kind of when I started, not their look, but like, you know, their names and how I am, you know, their race, how I imagined there's just their basic features, not their clothes and all of that. And so Max is kind of, um, she has some traits of a really good friend of mine, um, my friend Sophia, who's, um, she's actually half black and half Korean. And um, she, like, she, Max, some of the, like, sassy things she says totally remind me of my friend Sophia, like, 
you know, when we were teens. But I kind of gave Gabriel more of like her personality. I said, I definitely, you know, I want her to be, um, I want her to be African-American. I want her to be, you know, um, uh, you know, a native of New Orleans. Um, I want, you know, I said, I want her, I said, she's very sassy. Cause I, you know, I gave him kind of like some dialogue, but Gabriel, we really came up with her together, but he, so he would send me some kind of like hair. Like we started with like, you know, what kind of hairstyle is she going to have? And so like he would send me some hairstyles and I would send him some hairstyles. We had Pinterest boards together, like secret boards. And, and so we came up with it. And then, um, you know, like once we had her sneakers and her like kind of signature jacket says not your baby on the back, it kind of like encompassed the character. But then as it went on, it what's interesting is when I create characters, um, I always have Gabriel help me with like how they're going to look. And then after a while, he starts like inventing, like he loves fashion and he starts like dressing them like on his own. Because it's like once he gets to know them enough in the script where he's read enough and he's drawn them a few times, he like he said, he's like, I can like we got to a point where Max had to have, you know, a dress, which wasn't something we'd seen her in before. And he's like, I know what it should be like, you know, because it's like you get to know those characters. And I think probably even more so when you're drawing the character, because he was literally creating, you know, her look from the ground up. And yeah. Yeah, it was so it's that's what's fun, though, is the collaboration and, um, you know, like sending out like something so simple into the world, like, you know, the basic description of her. And then I get back, you know, with Stella in Beast Boy. It's amazing. I mean, like he has like had a full fashion spread of like all of her looks. <laughs> and it was so cool because. And he said early on, he's like, I kind of think I know what I she should look like. And so now that we've worked together longer, you know, he kind of like, I'll be like, okay, you throw something together and then surprise me. And then we'll like compare notes. <laughs> and um, which is fun because, you know, the, the truth is doing comics is a, you know, it is a, it's, I think because I started out um, as a co-author, I'm very comfortable collaborating and I feel like it is totally a joint effort. Like, um, you know, he has as much ownership as I do. The, you know, the story is not going to resonate with that many people if it doesn't have great art. That's for sure. Well, and the, the dress that you're talking about in that cemetery scene is is really kind of just elegant and classic and lovely. And then the T-shirt you're using my oxygen. Seems oh, yeah. To- uh, suggest plenty of <laughs> attitude right right from the get-go and I love that you added the detail about the jacket I can go through so many more of the questions that are just burning at the edges of my tongue now because of how we're getting into this but I know Kelly has just as many great questions so I'm gonna go ahead and pause for a second Kelly please ask a few questions so I'm not just monopolizing <laughs> turning into a really great Q&A with Cammy. go ahead please help me out so I um I, years ago on Facebook saw um, Gabriel's the that modern teen Titans that mm-hmm. he was doing with the just the artwork and I remember being kind of a little bit obsessed with it like it was one of those Facebook posts that I I shared it and then I was like wait but I, I want to look at this again yeah and so when I saw him actually as a, a part of 
you know, an official DC book, it was really, really exciting. So how, how has that process been in getting to work with him? Well, the, pro- the funnier process is how we, is how, you know, he, how he came to DC, how we got him. So yeah, early on, they, you know, they were, they involved me a ton and they asked me about artists and, um, you know, there were artists I liked, but then they also sent me a lot of amazing artists to look at. But, um, and I didn't necessarily have an art style totally in mind, but like I knew the feel the book needed to have, like for me. And I kept saying like, these people are so talented, but this is not it. Like, this is, you know, like I, it's like that, you know it when you see it. And I had also seen Gabriel's stuff, but I was on Pinterest and I saw it and I showed them Gabe, he calls them his casual Teen Titans. I showed them because he was already drawing the Teen Titans in regular clothes instead of costumes. And I showed them and I'm like, I want something like this. And and they were like, but no one does that. Like only this guy does that. And and I figured that's a no. He's not a comic book artist. Um, he's, a, he's a professional artist. He'd done illustration work for publishers. But, you know, I didn't know if that was the same. And clearly that means two people who have not done a graphic novel. Um and then they said, well, we're going to, we'll reach out to him. And I was pretty, I was, I was shocked and very impressed because, um, you know, like I said, I am, I was doing this for the first time and to have two people working together who haven't done it before that could turn into a huge mess. Um, and also that their willingness to take a chance on like a young artist starting out and Gabriel had like a ton of experience, like to give him his due. And he had done so much work online, but still, you know, it's different when, you know, you have a deadline and a mandate and it's, you know, you have to do X. I mean, it is a lot of pages for somebody to do just day after day. And um, so they told me they were going to email him and I wait and I wait and I'm not looking for anyone else because I want it to be him. I'm waiting. And finally, I kind of followed up. I'm like, kind of what's going on? And they were like, he hasn't responded. So I, I was like, I'm going to message him, but he was not following me. And I, and they said, do not contact him. (laughs) Like, we don't want him to know what the project is. We don't want him to know you're involved. My beautiful creature series is pretty popular in Brazil. They were like, we want to handle it. And I was like, okay, fine. So there was no way I could, I was just like, I'm literally old enough to be his mom. I wanted to be like, kid, you got to go read your email, please. (laughs) So. I was like, because I was like, he cannot lose this opportunity. <laughs> he was like 23. And I was like, so I was about to go rogue. And then they like they they were literally sending it from, like they said someone's assistant do it. They were sending it from all these different emails. And finally he responded. And it turned out he thought it was a joke. They thought it was a prank. Like when <laughs> someone was messing around. That's awesome. And so he didn't respond. And then finally, when he got like enough of them, and I guess he realized it was real, then he said he was so nervous. He didn't know how to respond. And then he responded and they didn't have him. They didn't tell him it was the book right off. They had him do this amazing illustration that um, it was a poster, actually, that they used for promo. It was um, Beast Boy and Raven on a bus, like a public bus. And. You know, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it was actually really complex looking. So I don't know what the what they asked him to do, but he did delivered that, and everyone went crazy. And then they said, okay, you know, he can he can do it. And I was really excited because, like, because I feel like you can teach someone a medium, you can teach someone to use a format or a specific medium. Like it's gonna take a you know it's gonna take a while to learn something new. 
But to kind of capture the essence of something or the feel of a character or the tone of a whole book, that's something that's really hard to like show someone if they don't kind of have the feel for it. And he really had the aesthetic for, you know, for the what I was going for with these characters. Wow, that, that is awesome. Oh, my goodness. That's, I guess that's like a, a lesson to everybody to check your emails and respond to things, even if it seems like a joke. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he, uh, you know, he did think, you know, like, finally he did. So I, you know, I give that to him. But again, you know, he, I always tell people because a lot of people will say, oh, you're so lucky. But, you know, it really wasn't luck. Like he was, he was working social media. He was posting every day. He was doing, you know, he did, um, uh, he did one of those challenges where he did a piece of art, like every posted a new piece of art every day, new drawing. So I feel like he, you know, he really, and he was drawing casual teen Titans for such a long time. And it, yeah. you know, and he just continued to do it out of love because he just loved the characters and, you know, I, I think sometimes that's how the best things work out. You know, like you do what you love, you do the thing you feel passionate about. And, you know, sometimes you get lucky and like the stars align. Yeah. Wow. That's that's awesome. And so for both of you guys coming to this project kind of as first time official, you know, a comic book team, what were some of the challenges you had? Were there any, you know, struggles with formatting the script or how, how long did it take you guys to really hit your stride? Um, the script wasn't that hard because I've done like I've done teleplays and other types of scripts. And honestly, I mostly like writing um, like action, really strong emotional moments and dialogue. I don't like writing transitions or any of the other stuff. So which it basically Gabriel takes care of all of that. So the the format is like my dream because I don't have to do any of the extra writing. I'm not one of those people who like loves drafting novels. Mm-hmm. I like having the words already and then messing with them because I'm mostly like my first draft is mostly dialogue when I write a book. So that wasn't as challenging. What was really challenging was, um, you know, making sure like I was just the panel descriptions were specific enough, but like also open enough that he still had room to do his thing, but not so vague that he was, you know, kind of struggling to figure out what I was trying to tell him. So it was like figuring out that balance and also the balance of like, like pretty quickly after I started getting pages, I realized like what he loved to draw the most. So then I would like write, especially in Beast Boy, like I wrote tons of stuff in that I just because I knew he would love to draw it. And, and he's so good at it. Um, but I think, you know, the, it's, the deadlines are tricky, you know, making sure, you know, we have all those, you know, all the pages in and, you know, double check everything. And, um, I think, but I honestly think his part is much harder than mine because, you know, writing, it takes so much less time than doing the art. So mm-hmm. I feel like I, I mean, I am jealous because I, I would, I mean, I would love to be able to to draw the way he can. Um, but I feel like I have kind of the easier half of the job. Right. right. And there, so when it comes to writing dialogue, do you have a um, kind of like a go-to rule for dialogue or do you just sort of let it flow freely and see what sticks? Um, I, well, you, you have to say it out loud. Like you have, if you're not going to say it out loud when you're doing it, you have to read it back to yourself out loud. Because you can tell when something doesn't sound like real speech 
when you read it out loud. And actually, um, Clive Barker told me that, and not as a writer. I met him as a teacher with some of my students, and that was the writing advice he gave them. And then years later, when I became a writer, I remembered it. Um, I, when I'm writing, I kind of, and now it's easier because, you know, now that Gabriel's created the characters, it's super easy because now I can see them. It's kind of like a movie's playing in my head. So my job, like I wear these big noise canceling headphones. I can't write in coffee shops or like places where people are talking unless I have my headphones. And I kind of picture the story like playing out and then I write it down. Like I, my job is to like record it, to get it down before I lose it. And then I, you know, as I go on, I kind of layer all before I turn in, you know, a section, I'll kind of go back and tweak it a little bit. But I think the most important thing when you're doing something like a a script for a screenplay or a comic is that the characters need to have distinct voices. Like I can tell when, you know, and Gabriel can tell when it's Max, whether or not I label it or not. And like, you know what I mean? Like she, you know, when she's talking. And the hope is that you can do that with all of your characters. And it's very difficult, but that's like, that's kind of the, you know, like the goal I'm shooting for. Right. Right. Wow. That's, and that's an impressive, um, kind of, you, you, you have a lot of, uh, impressive backstories for sort of the road to writing that you, you know, to get that advice before you're a writer. And then that's, that is really fantastic. I think that's what happens when like, I mean, I was a teacher for 17 years, so I was a reader, you know, and a fan and a comic book fan and a fantasy reader, like for all much, you know, teaching with all of those types of, you know, books for a much longer time than, you know, before I actually started writing. And um, so I definitely feel like see myself more as like a reader. That's what I, I that's kind of my first role. And that's also the way I think about it when I'm writing the story or when I'm reading it back to myself. It's like, you know, is this like, you know, would I like reading this? You know, is this good enough? I always I feel a lot of um, pressure. You know, I really want to always get better and deliver something better to the readers that, you know, you know, the ones who become fans and like read all of our stuff. Like I want to make sure Beast Boy is just as good as Raven and, you know, hopefully better. But for sure, not worse. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, I'm sorry, Seth, one more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm mad, just, I promise. You now going, I'm running with it. <laughs> I'm loving your questions, so go, go, go. Thank you. Um, would you say there are challenges to writing Beast, Beast Boy that there weren't to writing Raven? Oh, yeah. Um, a lot. So Raven is very is very introverted and kind of introspective as a character, you know, Beast Boy, I think one of the, so Beast Boy is Gabriel's favorite. And one of the things we talked about really early on, because I had the whole, the whole pitch was part of my like package I submitted, uh, the whole basic plot line when I submitted my pitches for the series. Uh, but, I, you know, but there was a lot of nuance. And I told him the thing that was the most important to me was um, that I really wanted to add like layers. And Gabriel said, I want people to know that he's not just like a guy who's funny and cracks jokes. And that was basically what I was trying to say. It's like he captured what I was trying to say. I, I wanted to see like, you know, what else, like not to take that away because like, even when I try to make him not funny, it's impossible. Like he's so, he's such a funny character, but, um, 
but I wanted to see like what else is there. And I also wanted to make sure that if people were new readers and they don't know the characters, like they know like why Beast Boy is so special, why he has so many fans, why so many of us love him, you know, because I feel like the true fans like know there's more to him than that. You know, he's not just a joke. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You, you did a lot of work to get to the soul of the characters. It sounds like, especially with, um, you know, with Raven and having this, this history with your daughter being such a big fan and you being such a big fan and then being able to talk to the person who created them. So that's, I mean, that is a really, I I would say almost confidence boosting perspective because at least now, you know, as fans, we can look at it and say this entire series is in really, really good hands. Well, which you is, know, I mean, I feel like, and I feel like everyone has their own take, but there were certain things like, one thing I don't like, because even though it's out of continuity, right, they, I had a lot of freedom. I could have done a lot of crazy things. Um, but as a fan, I don't like it when someone, like, takes the thing I love and, like, completely remakes it. Like, I, you know, like, I don't want to see those Charlie's Angels movies. Like, I, you know, that I don't like it. Like, you know, you can change Charlie's Angels, but Charlie's Angels are serious. They are not funny. You know what I mean? They're serious ladies. And I felt the same way about this. Like, I wanted to, obviously, she wasn't going to be wearing her costume, but I was like, I don't want to lose the essence of what the character is. Because as a fan, I I still want her to be Raven. And also, like, don't, you know, don't fix what's not broken. Like, she's an amazing character. I just wanted to, like, add to that. And that's one reason why, like, you know, like the jewel isn't on her head, but like I put it on a necklace because I was like, I don't want to eradicate that. And there was talk of like, is Trigon going to look human? And I was like, absolutely not. You know, no, he's not. I was like, that is like where I cannot, I cannot go there. Right. Because I said like, there's just certain things to me, like, like even if I represented a little differently, like she has to have her soul self, you know, she like, we Trigon is a demon. He needs to look like a demon. Um, and so those were the kind of challenges was that I faced was how do you take certain things that don't feel as grounded, you know, in reality and make them seem more grounded without getting rid of them, without, you know, without eradicating those parts of the character. Like I wasn't going to not have her be half demon or not have her, her, you know, I mean, the, her origin story, the father's story is, is pretty much the canon story. And right. so I was like, I, I don't want to change that, but I have to figure out a way to work, you know, work that in, um, so that, you know, it works in this manner also. And that, that's what I think is the fun, like the challenging, but, but also the fun part. Cause that's like the puzzle piece. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that is awesome. And actually it's almost, again, like you were saying with the stars aligning, that you're able to find Gabriel, who already was really doing a very consistent job of yeah. portraying the Teen Titans. Where I mean, and I remember the first time I saw his um his casual Teen Titans, it took less than a second to go, wait a second, that's the Teen Titans, and then keep looking at the details and going, oh my god, that's I the know. Teen Titans. Like yep. it looks amazing, and he yeah, captures that's, that's, them yeah. without like without their costumes. He still captures like the personality of them as you know like as the titans right, um, yeah no like i always say like 
to everyone when they they talk about how you know excited they are about the book and all of that like it's a dream team like there's no I couldn't have planned it better I think sometimes you just get matched up with someone where you get to work with someone where your your kind of vision for the project is the same and that has always really been the, the case with Gabriel and I and I see him you know he's like 100% my partner in this we also have an amazing layout artist. David Calderon is our colorist, who's amazing. Like, you know, we have two editors, um, you know, Justine Fuentes and um, Michelle Wells. So it's like we have this whole team of people that are all amazing. Um, we have we have a different letterer for um, Beast Boy, but both of our letterers have been fantastic. Um, so I just think it's also like we just I always tell people, you know, that you know, there's so many good books and, and films and things out there in the world that never get kind of the credit they deserve. And because a lot of, a lot of, you know, publishing is luck. It's the right place at the right time. They're putting the right people together. And like, those aren't always things you can control. And so I, I feel like this is one of those kind of meant to be things where I got, you know, I got just like I did with my first writing partner, um, you know, like Gabriel and I have a similar sensibility. So it's like we put our chocolate and peanut butter together and it works. You know, it <laughs> makes the Reese's kind of thing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great example. <laughs> and way to describe a, a perfect sort of dream team. That, those are two of my favorite flavors. I, I can honestly admit my favorite shake is a chocolate with peanut butter added in and then yep. a big smile on my face afterwards. <laughs> and 31 <laughs> flavors, chocolate, peanut butter, whenever I'm like in that, like I have to stay up all night because I'm getting close to the deadline mode, I need, I get like a pint of 31 flavors. Brilliant. Nice. M- mine's haagen They've got a peanut butter chocolate that yep. just melts my heart. Um, to use the ice cream. I've been writing wrong. I need to get more ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) I believe food is a very, very kind of powerful. uh, It's like a powerful magic in that writing mix. (laughs) That's I I definitely need to try that more. (laughs) Chocolate peanut butter. You can't go wrong. I mean, that's my endorsement. (laughs) Kelly, I don't want to step on your toes because you were really in a great groove there. If you've got another one to follow, I'll go ahead and and hold off. Um, oh, that's, that's all right, to... Seth. It's, it's all you. <laughs> oh, cheers. Um, you know what, um, Kimmy, I feel like we're gradually moving away from Raven, and we've done so much great talk about it that I want to ask one last question about it and then make my follow-up question a, a segue a little bit sure. as we move into things about Beast Boy. But I, I love to ask this question, and I I don't always get a chance to, to ask it based on who I'm talking with and, and what the, the content they're putting out at the time is. But especially when it comes to uh, a book or a a collaboration, graphic novel, anytime someone's written something and I get the chance to read it, I get a chance to talk with them. My favorite question to ask is, is there anything that you would like me as the reader to think about, or or any reader reading the book, to think about the story that you've written? It can either be a, a question to ask themselves, an idea to consider, or something else entirely. And I, mean, I love the gamut of, of answers, but I was curious if you had I mean, you know, I think that the I think that for Raven, the thing that was most important to me that about her as a character and the thing that I kind of hope everyone can take away is that kind of, you know, there's a line where she says, I belong to myself. You know, that idea that like 
you can, you define yourself. Like you get to be the person you want to be. And it's just a matter of whether or not you're brave enough to be that person. And I was not as a teen, like I was not as brave as the teens that I meet all the time at events. Like I don't like there's, you know, they're much braver than I ever was, but my, my, with characters like the Titans, my thing is always like, you know, like embrace the things that make you special and different, you know, and like own that and define yourself and don't let other people tell you what you have to be or what you can't do, you know, like don't buy into that. Great, great thing to keep in mind when the, when reading the story of Raven, um, since you got the chance to bring up, you know, how it is that Gabriel became part of this process. And, you know, it's really interesting when you mentioned luck, it, it seems like in many ways he, he sort of worked hard enough that the luck would work if it came his way. Yes. You know, putting out that that production on a regular basis and just always sort of saying, I'm I'm ready. So that when you said, hey, I want this artist, they were able to turn around and go, hey, look, this guy's ready. You know, yep. he's, he's clearly prepared to to take on this next step and he's producing daily. When it comes to working with Gabriel, can you look at something that you would say was probably your biggest surprise, uh, either working with him or getting to know him where you said, you know, never would have anticipated that, never would have even, you know, considered it. But now it's just this thing that was a surprise and really. Um, I mean, he, he, how talented and intuitive he is. Um, not surprises me, but I always like, I'm always, always impressed. He has a, he doesn't see himself, you know, he, he's not like, cause I'm always like, you could write something, you know, cause he has written a, he did a web comic that he's going to publish. And he's like, no, no, I want to mostly draw. I really like drawing better than writing, but he has a very um, like innate understanding of character and story, which is why one reason why I think he's so good at like creating the look of the character. Cause he, he can kind of, naturally boil down you know the character to their essence and I'm always shocked at like how much he can convey in their facial expressions you know like they and I think that's kind of one of the things I was like I know it when I see it because I feel like those nuances like when you're a teen like the look in someone's eye like you know those subtle things you pick up on in a big way and he is able to convey so much with like just like the slightest kind of body language of the character or expression and especially for someone who you know has not been doing this for 20 years it's like I think that's pretty amazing I think so too I I'm constantly amazed by artists for the way that when they start drawing I can't see what they're looking at and then as they get closer to the finished product I realized I was looking at the picture the wrong way to start with like I didn't even see their perspective until it's drawn in front of me and I think to myself without this picture I don't even know if I would have looked for that angle that approach that yeah that vision um that's an amazing quality it must be a gift to to work with him uh, on Raven and then to continue your relationship into the next book. What can we expect now that, you know, the pre-orders are available for Beast Boy? We have the chance to see uh, what the next collaboration between the the two of you is. And also now that I think Kelly hit it really well by saying that you guys have, have developed this stride where your, you know, conversation is a dialogue where, maybe you're finishing each other's sentences or because of how many ways you've already made great connections. 
what's coming out in Beast Boy that that we can look forward to that we got a chance to enjoy and rave and, and that was celebrated, and maybe some of the other new things like as you mentioned, uh, new characters. I, yeah, I think I think his just work is just even better because <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> because I think that you know the I mean and and mine possibly because like but definitely his because I think you know when you're like as an artist it seems like you know he's all of a sudden like you know on deadlines and all this pressure it's like now he you know he has his schedule down he'll be like I know exactly how many pages I can do on this day what type of pages um creating the characters was so fast for him this time um Mm. and it's almost like I feel like he almost had Stella in his head because it's like once I kind of described who they were he's like I got it and he just like ran with it and um he just uh I think you can see how much she loves Beast Boy as character. Like, you can just see it on the page. And uh, so I think that's fun. I think we're both faster. And um, and also, he's, like, he's more competent. So, you know, in the beginning, he would always ask me, like, you know, can I change this? Can I change that? And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. And now it's like he'll just, you know, add, you know, he adds panels or he adds a, you know, something in the background that's like cool and significant, you know, but I that I didn't expect or something in their room. Um, but he's like just confident. He knows like that I'm going to be OK with it and that um, like that's like I want him to do his thing. And so I think it's more fun for him, too, because now he gets to kind of like experiment more. That's that's really wonderful also, because I think it's that that growing sense of trust, that understanding and some sort of unspoken anticipation of you know what you're looking for but also how he can add to that in a way that's just going to amplify or reflect it so much more clearly oh yeah I mean it's definitely a partnership you know like I said it's you know the story is nothing without his art and and it's 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 really fun as a writer I think at least to send the pages and then when I get them back they like have come to life like they're told you know what I mean I send like some words and then I get them back and like there's some hilarious scene like with my dialogue but it's like even funnier than I imagined because (laughs) Gabriel's added all the stuff to it yeah you know that I wouldn't have ever thought of um and it's uh... I think our ages are also funny too because he literally I mean I you know like he could be my child and like (laughs) like sometimes I'll be like Gabriel I don't think that's cool and he's like Cammy it's totally cool it's retro and I'm like oh my god (laughs) I'll think something he's doing something kind of like out of style and he'll be like no it's retro and I'm like oh my god I'm so old (laughs) But that's fun, too, to, like, see his different, like, the different perspective on it, too, because of, like, the our ages and stuff. Because I also think that's fun because I, you know, I want it to be, like, you. I want a fan to be able to enjoy it if they're 50 or 60 or 40 or 15. You know, I feel like a good story is a good story. Agreed. In this story, is, is there anything about Beast Boy that we're going to discover in this book that you know or hope will surprise us? I think so. I think there's going to be a lot of surprises. I think there's, I think we've like really dug deep into his personality and, um, and, and I think that um, 
there's I think there's going to be a lot of things people recognize and like that they're like that's Beast Boy the the Beast Boy I love but then I think there's going to be definitely surprises and layers that people aren't expecting and even once they get to know kind of you know the Beast Boy we're giving them like I I don't really like people to be able to see that you know like the twists or the end coming so mm-hmm. even with my editors like there's scenes there was a scene um, my friend Elise Arden is doing. Um, Zatanna for uh for the same line like she's doing a Y Zatanna that's going to be coming out not I mean like I think they announced it like I think I can't remember when they said but I know it's like they're you know the arts being she's done with the script they're doing the art and she reads for me and you know we talk and plot together and there was a part in that she read and she called me and she's like okay it's so weird I totally remember you like describing this whole thing when you were like outlining and plotting and I knew the, the, the entire like scene but when I read it I like totally forgot I knew it and it was such a fun surprise <laughs> that's that's a fun story I, I, I like when that happens you know with the art it's also that because when she reads like just my scripts like you don't have the art to go with it so then when you add the art it's like there's a whole other kind of layer of surprise yes and Man, that's got to be a, a fun experience to be part of that process and know what you already enjoy and then yet almost discover it anew or be surprised by it when it when it comes around as a fully realized, you know, drawn page with the script and the dialogue and everything sort of fully fleshed out. Uh, and to have that same sense of, I remember this, but it's different. Yeah. And yet it's so wonderful and enjoyable this time around and well it's going to be cooler because once it's got the art it's going to be cooler (laughs) so that's the cool thing is like i feel like a genius because i send him pages and then they come back and they're like miraculous and i'm like oh my gosh like i am a genius (laughs) but but it you do feel so proud because when you get them back like you know it's like that other person was able to take your thing and make it better and like bring it to life and like add things that you weren't expecting. So it's fun because you, I feel like in the in the comics process, it's almost like you get to be a reader and a writer. Mm-hmm. And I like that because I, you know, I also love, you know, I miss reading. I feel like when you become a writer, you think you're going to read constantly, but you're writing so much that you don't get to read as much as you wish you could. Mm. That's an interesting uh, twist. And I'm sure something not everyone, you know, considers. But I also love the way that you were describing that. It reminds me of a, a Tom King post where he was giving what he said was a sample page of script. And it was like two descriptions. And the first one says, panel, Batman runs. Second yeah. panel, <laughs> Batman fights. And then, you know, the, the other script writers and artists who were responding to her were like, yep, sometimes it's like that, man. Yep, sometimes it's... <laughs> And yet he's like, yeah, you know, somehow something brilliant comes out of it. And I look amazing. And all I yeah. put were these, these things in here. Especially um, when you have an amazing artist. Because it's like, and, and also, like, Gabriel knows, like, kind of the stuff I'm going to be like, uh, I don't know about that. Like, he, so it's like, if I, I just write, like, you know, um, I can write something like, um, you know, there's tension between them. And, like, Gabriel will make it look tense. It's like I used to write all this other stuff, but now I know I can just be like, you know, you know, we see the tension and it's like a soap opera and Gabriel will send it back to me. And like you see this like irritation and tension and, you know, you're uncomfortable looking at it and it's perfect. So, he, you know, Tom's totally right. You 
you get this stuff back and you do, you, you know, you get artists to make us look good. And, um, you know, like, I mean, obviously comics are nothing without art. Like, otherwise they're just what, like regular books with less words. <laughs> you know? Very, very true. Very true. <laughs> Kelly, I feel like I squeezed in a bunch. Go ahead and, uh, you know, I know that we're moving in away from Raven a little bit as we're moving into Beast Boy and, and other projects Cammy's been working on. I'm sure you have questions about those as well. And I'm just going to step back for a sec. So actually, um, one of the, and I think this might be one of the most interesting takes on a DC character I've, I've ever heard of, but the uh, the Criminal Insanity book that you're doing for Harley Quinn and the Joker sounds like such a fascinating and fun kind of ride, but also not fun because it's Harley Quinn and the Joker, so obviously a, a whole lot darker than really anything the Teen Titans go up against. But in the process of researching and writing that, was there anything that you researched that seemed really like a, a a case or a behavior that stood out to you as like, oh my God, that's insane. Um, well, it's actually criminal sanity um, because he's sane in my version. Um, the way it really came about was um, my, my, I have a good friend. His name is um, Edward Kurtz. Uh, he is a psychiatrist and a um basically, you know, a behavior analyst, which is a profiler. And um, he was my consultant on X-Files. And he, like, basically has the job, like, he's worked at, like, Arkham's, like, real Arkham's. Um, wow. Yeah, he was trained by, a, if you're a Mindhunter fan, he was trained by a very famous um, FBI uh, agent named Roy Hazelwood, who had who passed away? Um, who was with Robert Ressler and um, John Douglas? Basically responsible for um, like part of the categorization system that we use now to classify serial killers. Hazelwood was um, really famous for um, classifying. He came up with like classifications for rapists, for serial rapists, which obviously helps helps police catch them. Um, Ed also trained under and then worked for, um, Berlin, who was, um, he was Jeffrey Dahmer's, uh, defense psychiatrist. Oh my God. And so <laughs> Ed and I have this weird thing where, you know, we talk about all of this stuff and, and in real serial killer land, um, really brilliant guys are not insane. So, like, Ted Bundy is 100% sane. You know, John Wayne Gacy is 100% sane. Most of the people that are delusional are are um, not, they don't have a high IQ. They don't do very imaginative crimes, um, you know, because obviously it's sad. I mean, if you, uh, you know, if you believe there are, you know, dragons hunting you or something and then you're killing people because they look like dragons, I mean, obviously it's horrible, but it's also really sad. And um Joker to me has always been like so incredibly scary and also so smart. So I wanted what I really wanted to do is like an a kind of an adult procedural, serial killer procedural, where um, you know, I I put I put a profiler up against, you know, the worst serial killer imaginable, meaning the smartest, sanest you know, most difficult to apprehend. And um, Joker 
you know, is that serial killer. Um, and to me, you know, Harley's actually a clinical psychiatrist. She, she's basically what Ed is. And so I decided that, you know, she should have, she should be able to like have her do and she should have the qualities of someone with that job. Um, as Ed says, often he has never in, you know, in history ever heard of a, um, you know, a psychiatrist falling for a psychopath. Because the first thing you know is that, A, they're not capable of love or empathy, and B, everything they tell you is going to be like a lie. It's a manipulation. So he's like, you walk in the room knowing what's going on, and he's like, and there's nothing attractive about them. There's nothing attractive about someone who has no empathy for another human being, who has no conscience. Um, And so I wanted her to be a, like, a badass, a badass profiler who is hunting the Joker and does not fall in love with the Joker and doesn't think there's anything, you know, sexually or physically attractive about him. Um, I wanted these like two brilliant people to have to go up against each other. But I also wanted to write a real serial killer procedural that was forensically and psychologically accurate. And so Ed is actually the consultant on the um, series. And he reads every line of dialogue, all of my scripts. Uh, you know, he works on every crime scene with me. Like we, he's, he's like totally collaborates with me. And we talk about, um, we talk about everything. We, he, you know, he, he really educates me on, cause like, even if I create a character or I create something, like sometimes I will think, oh, well, logically, this is where it would go. And he'll be like, no, 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 actually, you know, in real life, this is not, you know, what would happen. This is what would happen. And here's why. And so the uh, criminal sanity is is interesting because it's Harley's story, but it also has a huge Joker backstory about kind of um, not how he became a psychopath because he was already a psychopath, but like how he became a monster, you know, like how how he evolved into this incredibly, um, you know, scary figure. Because there are a lot of psychopaths who never hurt anyone. A lot, you know, um, there's a lot of CEOs, surgeons, people, you know, brain surgeons that are psychopaths. Um, They don't have any empathy. It's one of the things that makes them good at their job and impartial. But they don't hurt anyone. You know, there's there's usually something that triggers someone to kind of go that other direction. And, and Joker is not in my, you know, my Joker, you know, he is not crazy. He's 100% sane, which to me is much more terrifying. Um, he's a hunter, like he's a predator. He's out there hunting. He has a specific reason that he kills people. And um, the crime scenes are like very, very elaborate. Um, and that's, it's, that's, you know, kind of, part of his MO and part of, part of, um, you know, why he's doing it in the first place. Yeah. Wow. And actually I, I think my favorite concept is the fact that you took the romance out of Harley and the Joker, because that that's one relationship you can even call it that, that has bothered me so much. Cause I, I think when you see couples cosplaying as Harley and the Joker, it just kind of, I don't know, it just doesn't sit with me. Right. It never really has. But to see it from this perspective where they're equally matched and she's not, you know, falling in love for falling insane or whatever it is that drives her to like him. 
Yeah. Is, yeah, that's, I mean. Someone asked at uh, New York Comic Con at a panel, I asked, well, how will the romance unfold? And I said, there is no romance. This is not a romance. Um, that is the best answer for that. <laughs> not a romance. But the thing that was important to me about Harley was, um, you know, like, I, you know, I experienced relationship violence when I was in high school. Um, you know, she's a survivor. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the reason why a lot of women relate to her is because, you know, she's a survivor. She reinvents herself. So I wanted her to have that piece, you know, kind of intact, but the abusive relationship in her past is her, is from her family. It's not, it's not him. And so she is still a survivor and she's still tough as nails and she's still, reinvents herself in you know ways you haven't even seen yet you know until the second issue comes out January 1st and um there's you know after that like obviously there I've written way more than that so there are going to be a lot of other surprises but um but the biggest thing for me was like one reason I've always loved Joker and Batman is that idea of almost like two sides of the same coin you know the idea that um you know I loved it in um Chris Nolan's you know uh, films when, you know, Heath Ledger said like, you know, well, of course I wouldn't kill you, you know, like, like, you know, the idea, like he loves, like, you know, how, how would he have any fun without Batman? It's kind of, um, I wanted Harley to be this like formidable person because it's not that the GCPD are idiots. Um, Gordon's in it. He's amazing. But a, a regular, my stepdad was an undercover cop, you know, regular police officers are not trained in profiling at the level of a psychi- a clinical psychiatrist, a, a profiler, an FBI agent. And so they just don't, they don't have the same bag of tricks. And she's consulting for the GCPD. And I wanted her to be this formidable kind of force where he's out hunting all these innocent people, but like she's hunting him. So it's like the predator is also the prey. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> That's a that's a really great way of looking at that. And it, it when dealing with um, you know, kind of that darker subject matter with having to stage these crime scenes and look at the Joker from the inside but then also have to build up this traumatic past for Harley. Were there, were there ever moments where you had to sort of step back and take a break from it where it got a little bit too heavy or was it, you know, just consistently like no a, way. a thrill it ride? Is, it is so fun. So I'm a dark girl. I mean, I literally have like two speeds. It's like Raven or or like, you know, Joker Harley. So <laughs> so I came up with the concept um, and I took it to D.C. I worked on it for like a year and a half. Um, and, and Ed worked on it with me. Like we were like, like I had it all worked out when I brought it to them. And um, like we even profiled the Joker as if he were a real person. Um, so like. To me, this was like a dream project because I wanted, I was thinking, considering writing a serial killer kind of adult thriller novel, but I didn't really want to write a novel was the thing. I just, I wanted to have the killer and I wanted to create these crime scenes and I wanted to have this mystery, but I didn't really want to write a novel. Um, And especially like when the art in this is so amazing, like the visuals just like make it so much like more compelling. So for me, this was is really the dream. I mean, Ed and I, you know, we have very strange conversations like about, you know, melting body fat and, you know, <laughs> like, chem, you know, like chemical agents. And uh, my my son is um, 
14, almost 15. And he is like, he's like a little engineer. He knows how to do like make everything. And I am terrible at like, I can like, you know, I can draw basic stuff, but like, I'm not good at constructing things like, or putting furniture together. So I, I, I added some, some questions about some science, you know, like kind of, uh, like equipment and things I wanted to put in there. And I had to like employ my son to help me. And he was like, what are, he was like, what are you, what are we doing this for? <laughs> I said like, it's for a comic book. And he's like, this better be for a comic book mom. He's like, cause this is, sounds really inappropriate. <laughs> and it was very like, and it is like when set issue releases, I will totally tell people which one it is because it was like when I told, um, Jim Lee and Dan Didio that like I had my son help me with it. They were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> the moment your son looks at you differently for five yeah, seconds. <laughs> so, but it's so fun because the, the Joker we've created, which I really believe is, you know, like some, you know, is a compilation of a lot of different Jokers, but um, you know, he's, since he's, he is like a real person, like he's really terrifying. And I, I wanted, I, I basically wanted it to feel so real that like, if you finish an issue at night, like you would get up and check and make sure your door's locked, you know, like I want him to feel like real. And I want, um, cause I do think he's like one of the, like one of the most interest, like most, one of the most complex and interesting psychopaths like ever created. And if he were a real person, especially like our iteration of him, like, you know, he would get Hannibal Lecter a run for his money easily. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's, and I think especially can, right now with the movie coming out and um, Harley Quinn having her own show on DC Universe, I like the idea that there's a story out there that doesn't paint this kind of, I'm not so much that, recent iterations of Harley have still had that kind of, I don't know, I romanticized version of the two of them. Yeah. I This story specifically, I think, is the one, if there's going to be, you know, a young woman out there reading something about Harley Quinn, even if this is a little bit darker than some of the yeah. other, you know, other stories, I think this is the one to read. Absolutely. And this is not, and also the violence in this, like, it's not gratuitous. It's not like it's just gore or like, you know, we're just like drawing violence to be violent. Like it's like everything that's in it is because you really are. It's like you're, you know, it's if you like Mindhunter or Criminal Minds or Seven, like it's that kind of thing. So right, it's, yeah. but it's not like we're just like, you know, leaving like, you know, blood in our wake for no reason. Um, you know, I've also written horror. Um, I'm a member of the Horror Writers Association. Like I, you know, I believe that like psychological horror, you know, kind of the Stephen King brand of horror is always scarier to me than like slasher stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> the fact that you <laughs> mentioned Seven is one of those movies that I remember afterwards, my friend, we went and saw Seven in the theater. And afterwards, my friend got on the payphone and called his girlfriend and then his parents to make sure that they were both okay. For whatever reason, he well, needed to know that they were, were safe in some way because what he'd seen meant that, you know, the, the worst thing could happen to the most normal, unsuspecting and person. And listen, the thing, that is, the thing that's scary when I'm writing it is not the stuff I'm writing, but it is th what you just said. Like Ed, you know, Ed works at basically in Arkham. He works at also at a prison, um, you know, with patients. And like he said, like, 
these guys are out there and women and they are 100%, you know, real. Like he's like, people don't, you know, they, you know, people are always make fun of me. My, it's mostly because my stepdad was an undercover cop. That's really where my level of paranoia comes from. But, you know, Ed and I were talking about it earlier today. You know, people make fun of me because I'm, you know, I'm, my kids know more about abduction than any children you will ever meet. (laughs) But But I'm also a kid who, like, you know, I, my stepdad, like, is I was born in the 70s, early 70s. So, you know, when I was, like, 15 and 16 and I wanted to go on dates and not take my brother who was younger than me, by the way, I had to prove to my stepfather that I could get out of the trunk of a car. And before 90, the trunks of cars did not have release latches inside. I didn't know how to get out, like for real. (laughs) Oh my God. And he was not joking. And like, I mean, I remember he was, he made me learn how to drive stick. Now I didn't have a stick shift. I mean, so I, I had, but I had to prove to him I could drive stick shift because he said, like, what if you get abducted and some guy throws you in his van and then he leaves to go get, you know, goes go to 7-Eleven to get some lunch and you could escape, but his truck is, uh, you know, is a stick shift. And I'm like, what are the odds of it? <laughs> what a, no pressure on that way to learn but, driving stick. <laughs> but, I will, but I will say, like, in the end, like, all, like, he did all this weird training and made all these ridiculous scenarios that me and my friends made fun of. But um, it's not a, it's not a short story, so I won't tell the whole story. But when I was like in my early twenties, I woke up in my apartment that I lived in by myself, and there was a dude in my room I did not know, and I got out unscathed, no therapy necessary, like, and it was all because of all the crazy stuff my stepfather taught me. Oh my god! I see now. I kind of want to know that story. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just wow. like it's just, it's just like the way they train people in the military. You know, when you do something, kind of are programmed over and over again to think in a certain way, or to like, what if you do if? What do you do if? When it's it's like when an emer- it's kind of like you know you practice for the fire drill. You practice, you practice, you practice, and you think it's so stupid. But then when there's a fire like you automatically go into fight or flight and you know what to do. Like your subconscious knows what to do. It's the same thing. So it's like, I, I mean, I panicked later, like, don't get me wrong, but like in the moment, like it, my mind was just like going through all the different, like, you know, scenarios he had taught me and the questions you ask yourself and like, you know, what I'm looking for and what are my way out? You know, what are the ways out? And, um, you know, and I feel like that's the kind of thing that I bring to this. Like I bring to my our Harley, and I also bring to um, just kind of the the dark edge of this genre is that feeling of like I know this stuff is real and it could happen, and um, and unfortunately in the past like it has happened. You know, like we've had some horrific serial killers, some horrific you know just murderers, and so I. I try to bring that level of reality so that um, you can suspend disbelief and, you know, you, it feels like you're reading true crime. That is, you have some of the most fun stories I think I've ever heard any individual have. And not that finding someone in your room is fun. No, but I realized they're only, so I wrote a, I wrote a YA book, but where the stepdad, where the dad was a, um, 
was an undercover cop because I had all these cop stories and I had to do something with them. But what I told everyone is at the time, none of these stories were funny. Like they were all terrible. <laughs> like all the scenarios with my stepfather were super embarrassing and like horrific. And I didn't want, you know, none of my friends wanted to like come over and be part of the like trunk, you know, ex- exercises. <laughs> right. Trunk is but, day. <laughs> but now obviously they're hilarious. Like, you know, whatever, 30, 40 years later, they're hilarious. But like back then they were not hilarious. <laughs> like I was I was mortified. But then, like I said, you know, you just you just never know what's gonna happen. And this is really fun to write. And again, I have amazing artists, and in this particularly, the art is so critical because um, I mean, it really is, you know part of the storytelling in a huge way because there are a lot of nuances and things that are only conveyed in the art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and what I love about what you're doing in here and that I really enjoy a great deal is how you're tapping into this amazing lineage and how it's part of something that um, I find really interesting because I've found the Mindhunter storyline really powerful to watch on television. And I thought to myself, wow, this is amazing because what you're seeing is the the foundation of this approach to understanding crimes and how until that had happened, there was no sort of basis for how to interpret these things right. and how lost they really seem to be and how that also mirrors so well with the idea of, of police. It reminds me of that great moment from Usual Suspects where, you know, the Kaiser Sose is explaining, you know, before we, we realize who he is, yeah. he's talking about, hey, when you present a scenario to a cop, he's got a really cut and dried approach to this. He knows exactly who did it, why, and he can tell it all to you. But when you bring in this other approach of psychology and what that means, it can really yeah. make it, you know, a different animal for them to approach. Yeah, and even the nuance, I mean, I love that movie, even the nuances of like, you know, how do you know which one's, you know, not guilty, like the one that's not sleeping? you know, in the holding cell, like the one who's not relaxed, you know, like, cause the, cause the professional criminals are all just like resting. Cause they're like, no big deal. Like I'll get off. And <laughs> Joker's like a guy in the mind, like he knows the system, like he knows, he knows how the police work. He knows how the system works. Um, he knows like, you know, a lot about forensics. Like he, he has educated himself. I mean, some of the most, the most famous um, and kind of most difficult to apprehend criminals were criminals that had a lot of knowledge of law enforcement and like the way, you know, they would be investigated and the way crime scenes are investigated or the way that different, um, you know, police departments and states would share information. And, you know, that allowed them, um, you know, that allowed them like this advantage that would, you know, help, help them, prevent prevent them from being caught for such a long time um and i i mean i just think joker is such a such a brilliant character in general but i think that the idea of him being real a real person is terrifying and that's kind of what i wanted to tap into and also i think he's super relevant because we do live in like you know there's so much violence in the world now and social media adds a whole other layer to that and, um, you know, then there's things that you couldn't, like things you could not pull off, you know, 30 years ago, like, or you couldn't pull off without cell phones and the anonymity of the internet and all of that. So I think that makes it really fun too. 
because obviously there's, you know, there are time periods where, you know, the, the, the Joker, it was much more, you know, catching him and the kind of things he was capable of were also limited to like the technology and the things that were, that existed at the time. And now there's so much that I feel like it, you know, it would give a, a predator like him a serious edge. I can only imagine. I'm looking at the fact that you've been so generous with us. We've taken almost an hour and a half of your time. And in some ways, I can only imagine that we've actually written down probably twice as many questions as both Kelly and I came into this with, based solely alone on the stories you've been sharing with us and the information we're gathering, where it's like, how can you not ask a whole slew of follow-up questions? But I, I do want to keep in mind the fact that we should probably try and, you know, wrap this up with just a few more. Sure. Um, Kelly, I wanted to go to you first. Did you have uh, a certain number of questions you wanted to kind of wrap things up with or did we already tap out? How are you feeling? Um, you know what? I think I have just one more. Um, going back to Harley Quinn, what did you find to be, it, I guess, the the most fun part of reinventing her in, in your own way? Um, well, one I think is that, um, I think she's, she is a badass. She's a strong character and letting her be strong without, um, having to use her sexuality, letting her be strong with her. Cause I also think she's clever, like in the, I mean, she's clever. She's a clever character, but like letting her use that ingenuity and resourcefulness, um, and intelligence, like, and just rely on that. Because I also see her, like, she's still beautiful in, the, like, in the, um, in Criminal Sanity. Like, she's totally beautiful. Like, I, but I like the idea that, like, she doesn't, like, the beauty isn't something she needs to lean on. You know, like, she has yeah. so many other things up her, so many other talents and so much knowledge and intelligence. And, um, you know, and she's, she's so far ahead of the curve that, like, she doesn't even need to go there. You know, but yeah. you know she's gorgeous still. Um, yeah, I love that, and I also just love taking. You know, I love the. Uh, I love changing the power dynamic. I love the idea of. Um, you know, I mean, in the real world, the Joker's a narcissist. He would be more obsessed with her because she is studying him. Like she's like a lens. Like she would never be interested in him, but he would be totally obsessed with her. So yeah. I actually like the pa the change in the power dynamic, and I like the idea um, that, you know, that she is fascinated with him and hunting him, but, like, the fascination is totally different. It's not sexual. It's not romantic. You know, it's this kind of, like, fascination for I need to know how your mind works so I can catch you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that approach because it, it also is this like you're nothing more than a puzzle that's going to be something I obsess over until I solve it. And then yes. it becomes a puzzle I solved, which is the whole point of the pursuit. It's it's not about what else is lying, you know, beneath this or, or what else is involved. It's about this this desire to, okay, here's something that I can't solve as quickly as I might want to. And the challenge of trying to solve it yeah. is where the obsession comes from. And that's which, what, yeah. And that's what Ed says. He says, you know, we, you don't think these people are like fascinating and like you're so enthralled with them. He's like, your obsessiveness comes in the fact that you, you want to catch these, you don't want these people on the street. 
you know, like you want to catch them. And so that obsession is like the obsessive, you know, it's almost an obsession in de of detail and of like, you know, re-examining cases and making sure you didn't miss anything, making sure you pick up on every clue because you want, you want that person, you want them out of business. You know, you do not want that person to be hurting any more innocent people. And actually in Harley, in this case, there's an interesting um, twist is, and it's not really like a giveaway because it was in the um, like the press release information and stuff like, you know, her um, her her roommate is killed. Her roommate, Edie, who's her really close, close friend that they went like like her sister. Basically, they went to medical school together. There was some um, there was some like chatter on the Internet about how she was really Ivy because she one of the um, artists gave her red hair. But um, she's not Ivy because like I would never have like Ivy and kill her and like you know, like the past on, in the first issue. Yeah. So like, there's actually, Ivy is not it. So it's not <laughs> Ivy at all. It's this character I created who's just a roommate. Um, and, you know, so she has this kind of personal stake because this person who's really close to her was a random victim. You know, one of his like, you know, you're in the you know wrong place at the wrong time. And, um, and it's not personal, but that's the problem. You know, it's like, it's, it's like a tiger, you know, any kind of a predator, you know, it's like he's he's just like out there satisfying his need to hunt, his need to kill. And, you know, there are people who are collateral damage and, you know, her catching him is the only way that's going to stop. I love that idea of a tiger. I was obsessed with the first season and equally so the second of Mindhunter. And one thing that always came across with every interaction they had with the serial killers that they were uh, interviewing and that were being used to, to help show this, you know, development that they were going through was that quiet unpredictability, that, that ability to do the unthinkable in a given moment and the power that that seemed to give because it was so sudden. And as you pointed out earlier, so lacking in any emotion or empathy yeah. or feeling. But and, it's different with different killers because like a less intelligent killer is usually disorganized. Like it's a, it's, it's, they're fueled by like an urge and emotion and it's like a sloppy, you know, like crime scene. It's like, they just like, they go into a rage, but like, you know, people who are really scary are people like, you know, Ted Bundy and stuff who had like his, you know, his murder kit, like his supplies in the trunk. And like, you know, he was like planning these things out. Like, and it, you know, the Joker is is planning things out at a much higher level, but this like this guy was planning things out. You know, he was going out hunting. Um, you know, Gacy was. You know, he buried people under his floorboards. You know, like he was like he, and then he was the clown in the neighborhood. He dressed up like a clown at people's birthday parties. So it was funny because a lot of people used to tease me because when my kids were young, we would go trick or treating. And then they would put all of the, as I called it, dirty candy in a bag. And then I had a huge supply of candy I had purchased that they traded for their dirty. They're like, I, now I try to call it stranger candy to be kinder. <laughs> um, stranger candy. And my, one of my friends was like, you're so like irrational. Like that's totally, you don't need to be doing that. Like these people are my neighbors. And I was like, dude, John Wayne Gacy was someone's neighbor. He was the clown at neighborhood birthday parties. 
Like, I, no offense. Like, I don't know what's under your neighbor's floorboards. And my kids are not eating. Yeah, my kids are not eating their dirty stranger candy. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wrap up with my, my final two questions and then just uh, say thank you. The, the first is just for a little bit of fun because I love discovering when you're reading about someone and the little details that surprise you. In your experience, from what I understand, you can either teach me, Kelly, or someone that you feel like you can teach them how to either escape from a pair of handcuffs or bake a Coca-Cola cake. In cool. your experience, what's generally been the easier to teach? Um, I haven't taught many people either, but there is a video online of me baking a Coca-Cola cake like from step one, and I oh. have had a lot of readers right uh go on social media and and like either send me a picture or tell me like that they made the cocoa because it's delicious and like not just because i make it it's just like i think you could kind of mess it up and it would still be good it's just so it's such a like sugary yummy chocolatey mess but like they say like oh my god it turned out and i made it and it was awesome and i did these like videos where i was like i don't know why but there was a character in one of my original series who was always baking so I was like cooking some of the, cause a lot of people in other countries who are reading the books would say like, what is Coca-Cola cake? You know, like what are these things? So I made some of them so they could kind of see what it was. And then it was cool to see other people making them. So the Coca-Cola cake, it seems like is pretty, pretty easy to execute if you follow the instructions. <laughs> Sounds like a video we should all take a look at and consider and something that I'm sure if I tell my wife, I'll probably end up making for her. So I'm prepared for that. It's good. Um, it's good. <laughs> I have no <laughs> doubt. Uh, and I'm sure once she sees the video, she'll just say to me what she always says, which is, I want that. And then I'll find out. Oh, I like that. Yeah, she's pretty good. She's <laughs> She's got me pretty dialed in. Uh, the other one is the fact that you have two dogs named Spike and Oz, which you uh, proudly state are named after characters from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. For those who might have found that to be a formative bit of their youth or television enjoyment, a favorite episode that, that maybe they can, you know, feel like, hey, this is an experience they're having with you if they choose to I watch. I mean, the musical episode is like always one of my favorites. <laughs> and someone brought me. It was so cool. I guess there was somewhere that it was like performed kind of like Rocky Horror. And there were these, in Texas, I think, and there were these posters <laughs> from it. And someone came to one of my signings and they brought me like one of the like promo posters, you know, like I, that I could frame in my office. It was like a white poster with like colors. And it, it was almost like it was a poster for a musical. And it's really cool. But <laughs> honestly, I love Buffy so much. And like, I agree. Like, I feel like she shaped so many of our kind of like, even when we're older, like even when I still watch it, I just feel like it's a show that has so much heart. And again, like a show that, you know, showed a strong girl, you know, badass. I totally related to that. I was totally interested in being a slayer. I wanted to have Spike and Angel, but my second dog, my first dog is big. My second dog is small. He's a miniature long-haired dachshund. And my husband was like, I'm not walking that tiny dog around <laughs> named Angel. <laughs> so I named him Oz. Uh, that way I wouldn't have to walk him when it was cold outside. <laughs> that's that's such a great story. I, I love that. And and thank you. I, I remember stumbling across it and thinking to myself, 
this is really smart writing for television. And that was always oh, the thing yeah. that, that brought me back was how the dialogue was so quippy. How I distinctly remember uh, I was talking with one of the guys in a conversation recently, uh, the character uh, Willow saying, yeah, and then I Googled that girl. And Xander pops in and says, you did what to her? And is that legal? And yeah. it was the first time I'd ever heard someone play with these ideas that for us were still like new words like Google and Yahoo. Yeah. And, um, and I always just love that example of great writing. And it was done, you know, in this what should have just been like an episodic. And yeah. It became so much more. But also, um, it, like, it just had, I feel like it also um, was fun and campy in a way, but also managed to be serious. You know what I mean? Like, also managed to be real, which I think is a really hard, like, tightrope to walk and not a tough thing to pull off. I agree. In fact, it's, I feel, well... I've been embarrassed in the past to admit it, but one of the more powerful monologues I thought came from the episode where Angel gets his soul back. Yeah, oh and, yeah. And kills Giles' love interest. And there's this really beautiful voiceover where he's talking about if we weren't so human, all of these things wouldn't matter and they also wouldn't be so painful. Yeah. And it was it was stunning to me. And to this day, I, I still remember that as being one of those great emotional moments where I thought wow, for a campy show, it just suddenly sunk yeah. 15 feet deep and, you know, really punched you in the gut a bit. So that's what I feel like, you know, that's, I mean, obviously I am not Joss Whedon, but like, that's when I'm doing Titans, like, that's the kind of thing, especially something like Beast Boy, that you kind of strive for is, yes, it's funny and the characters are so much fun, but I want there to, like, I wanted to leave you with something more than just that. You know, that's the hope always, you know, being Joss Whedon is a tall order. But, um, you know, that's the kind of writing that I love where you can enjoy it and it has humor and but it still has something, you know, like has some serious heart to it. You know, I'm I'm probably uh, speaking what Kelly might be thinking as well at this moment, which is I think you've also left us with something a little bit more and something a little bit deeper. And we're really thankful for the fact that we've had a great chance to laugh with you to talk about our favorite characters. But moments like that where you were really just open, authentic and genuine with us, uh, it provides an insight that I know I myself uh, as a reader, as a writer, uh, love to hear, and I can only imagine how important it's going to be for anybody else who gets the chance to tune in and listen to this. If I can just say from myself, uh, Cami, thank you for stepping on today, for joining us, for answering all our questions, and and for providing such fun and insightful answers. It really was a joy. <laughs> thank you for having me, and thank you for having such great questions. <laughs> I can only take part of the credit here. Uh, I want to give the other to uh, to Kelly. Oh Kelly, no, thanks. both of you have. <laughs> Both of you are great, have great questions or great interviewers. You know, like an interview is only as good as, you know, the questions are, the questions aren't interesting. It's, you know, you're not going to get very interesting answers. Well, um, you gave us amazing answers. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much. And now I, I think I'm going to Google how to get out of a trunk just for, <laughs> just to see if it's out there. Just yeah, case. but you have to do like. <laughs> Had it, there, it is out there, and I think there's, like, one that has, like, little um, visuals to go with it. But you have to do the how to get out of a trunk that doesn't have a release. Because now, after 90, all cars have a release latch in, in the trunk. Oh. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's... Hmm. I mean, it's handy. 
Yeah. It depends what kind of car you get thrown into. <laughs> yeah, I mean, personally, if I was going to be a serial killer, I would make sure that I had an older model to avoid this, you know, to make sure yeah, that yeah. we didn't have a latch issue. Um, yeah. But Maybe a stick shift, just because I, I still it, don't know how to drive stick, and now I'm kind of upset. <laughs> I'll leave you this with this one last thing. We were, we went to some, I don't know, it was some function. Uh, like a, you know, like a, some activity with our kids. And it was like dark outside and people were like running around and everyone was like, oh, this is so much fun. And I turned to my husband and I was like, if I was a serial killer, this is exactly where I would hang out. Everyone's <laughs> 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 letting the kids like run free. And then my husband was like, yeah, I'm going to go find out where, uh, go where Stella is right now. And I was like, yeah, if I was a serial killer, this is where I'd hang. <laughs> ah, that's the danger of delving too much into the dark materials, right? At some point, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this infecting my daily life? What's happening? <laughs> um, if, uh, you know, you mentioned some some ways that people might get a chance to follow some of the really interesting things you come across, and you mentioned there were some social media. Are there any social media uh, platforms that you want to share your information about so people can follow you on the Instagram oh. account you mentioned? Basically, my, I'm my name. Uh, my, I'm Cami Garcia on almost everything. I think I'm Cami Garcia YA on Facebook, but like Instagram, Twitter, all those, I'm just my name. I'm just Cami Garcia. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if I'm that amusing, but my dogs are very often uh, on Instagram. And sometimes, um, you know, they have costumes. So, you know, <laughs> worth. Wonder Woman. <laughs> I did I so I got invited to be do a story for um you know Wonder Woman um the new Wonder Woman um anniversary issue and so I was so excited and I got my dog like a Wonder Woman costume and my son like opened the box and he's like he's like he's like do not do this to our <laughs> he's like he's not even a girl <laughs> Like, Anyone can be powerful. I know. <laughs> there you I was go. Like, but they didn't have like a non-dress Wonder Woman costume. Like that was part of the problem. But he was like, oh, no, mom, just like this is enough of this dressing up a dog. <laughs> um, and Kelly, because you're asking such great questions, where can everyone out there in the internet find you on social media? Should they want to follow up or talk more with you about some of the stuff we chatted today? So I am on Twitter at Kel Gaines Wright, uh, K-E-L-G-A-I-N-E-S-W-R-I-T-E, um, and doing opinion editorial pieces for DC Comics News. Yay! Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for me for any reason, I'm either on Instagram as Seth the Writer or on Twitter as the number one and more singleton, and I'm also here with a great group of people on the DC Comics News podcast. Just a little bit of business when it comes to you know tagging anything about this episode or any of our podcasts on social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube, all you have to do is use the at symbol and DC Comics News, capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. And if you haven't already, uh, please head over to your favorite podcast platform, the one you're listening on right now, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. Subscribe rate review i think we're five stars and amazing and i'm happy to argue with you if you have a different opinion and i would encourage you to please check us all out 
when you get a chance and let us know your thoughts about this and any of our other episodes. Um, and also just again, Kemi, thank you for being such an amazing guest for answering all of our questions and for making this so much more fun. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And now Kelly and I are going to do our favorite little sign off that lets everybody know we've wrapped this up. Kelly, am I doing the first word? You do the second. We'll do the third together. Sounds good. All right. And as always, read more comics. comics. Not too shabby. That wraps this book. <laughs> that was our 50th nice. episode. And we were so lucky to have Cami Garcia here answering great questions and telling us all the things we can love about Raven and the soon-to-be-available Beast Boy. Cami, thank you once again. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>